And I'm so excited uh, to be here. Can I get some house lights? I'd love to see these beautiful faces. Uh, my name is Caden Fabrizio, and I have the absolute pleasure of being the lead executive director of Yona. And um, if this is your first time at Yona, we just want to welcome you. We just want to say, man, we're just here to praise Jesus, unite the church, be the body. And um, if you need a local church community, if, there's, um, if you're doing life alone, please stop. We have a bunch of amazing people in the room. Hey, if you're a pastor in the room, would you just stand to your feet? If you're a pastor, if you're on staff, just stand to your feet. Come on. There's more than that. Come on. Yeah, stand to your feet. Just love to honor you. Clap your hands. Hey, guys, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for what you're doing here in Orange County. If you guys need to find a church, um, we've partnered with an amazing organization called Crossover, and you guys can go to yonanights.com, click our Crossover tab, and you can type in some info and get um, plugged in to a church. But we're running mad over time, so I'm going to get in the Word. How's that sound? I got a message, and um, I have it's been burning in me for um, six months. And um, the reason it had to burn is because the Lord had to teach it to me before I could preach it to you. It's not always fun. But I'm excited to get in this word. Hey, if you have a Bible or you got a Bible app on your phone, doesn't make you less holy. Go ahead and pull it out. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 17 today. We're going to start in verse 1. And as you guys pull that out, I just want to invite you. Hey, I don't want to preach alone, okay? So let's lean in together. I believe the more you lean in, the more you take out. So feel free to shout me down, get in with me, yell a hallelujah, a praise Jesus, an amen. Um, just don't say preach it, white boy. That's happened once. True story. Got weird. First Kings chapter 17, you there? Okay, a couple things you need to know before we jump into this. Number one, in this time in the Old Testament, Israel is being run by an evil king. His name is King Ahab. And the Bible says that King Ahab is the most evil king of all. There was no king more evil than King Ahab. And King Ahab was so evil that he, he, he caused Israel to turn against God. So God raises up a prophet named Elijah to give King Ahab a warning. That's where we're going to pick up the story in chapter 17, verse 1. It says, now Elijah, who was from Tishbe, should be behind me, amen, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Someone goes, that sounds like California. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide. Somebody say hide. Everybody say hide. By the Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside the Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him food bread and meat, each morning and evening. And he drank from the brook. But after a while, someone say, after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. I want to preach tonight a message I've titled, Waiting on Ravens. 
Somebody look at your neighbor and say, what are you waiting for? And look at your other one you ignored. Apologize. And if she cute, get her number. Girls, if he cute, make him work for it. Single lady said, amen. Let's pray, Lord. And that was too many of y'all. We need deliverance, hey. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, God. I just pray that you would speak. May I become less so that you could become greater today, God. I just pray that you would reach every heart tonight. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said together. Listen, I think the truth of uh, every single person in this room is that we're all waiting for something. I would confidently say that every single person in this room is waiting on something. You're waiting for the promotion. You're waiting for the relationship. You're waiting for hope to re-enter your heart. You're waiting for addiction to stop nagging you. You're waiting for your family to come to Jesus. You're waiting for breakthrough. You're waiting for a promise. I can confidently say every single person in this room is waiting. But if we're not careful, our life can become perpetually about waiting for the next. What comes next? Our life, if we're not careful, becomes the wrestle with the waiting. But I think that maybe many of us tonight, we're we're waiting because we've actually been hidden. See, when I when I was growing up, I I had a uh, I had a baby sister, uh, I had an older sister and a babysitter. And uh, every Thursday night, my parents would go to Bible study or they'd go on date night. Amen. And. My babysitter, uh, let's just call her Jamie because that was her name. She came over to the house every Thursday night. And her and my sister would convince me, I was maybe 9, 10 years old at this time, that we should play hide and seek. It was our tradition. Every single Thursday night, my sitter and my sister and me, we played hide and seek. And I loved it. I was so good. I never got found, not one time. And I remember uh, there was this one Thursday night where my, my sister and my sitter, they, they, they gassed up this idea of like, hey, let's all go and play this amazing game of hide and seek. It's Thursday night. We play hide and seek. And I said, okay, I can't wait. Jamie, she started counting and I, I, I booked it. I got to go find the best hiding spot. I do not lose. Somebody say amen. <laughs> so I ran upstairs. I dove under my bed and under my bed, I waited and I waited. And I waited, and the oxygen grew thin, and the temperature rose, and I waited. Until what eventually felt like an hour or maybe two hours, I was like, where? I'm not that good. So I started to investigate. I walked around the house. I went to the kitchen. I went to the living room. I went to the garage, and my sister and my sitter were nowhere to be found. So in a last-ditch effort, I went outside, and my family, we had an RV parked on the side of our house. And in a last-ditch effort, I reached to the RV door. And I was like, this is my last chance to know I haven't been raptured. (laughs) And I opened the door, and I stepped inside to find my sitter and my sister watching a movie and eating popcorn. (laughs) 
They were knee deep in snacks and M&Ms and I'd been under a mattress for an hour. (laughs) And I realized I wasn't hiding from them. They were hiding from me. And the older I got, as, as I've grown up, I've realized that my sister and my sitter, they actually weren't that far apart in age. It actually was more like they were friends. They weren't babysitting. And their attempt at hide and seek was so that they could hide from me, so that they could get alone long enough to know each other, to tell secrets, to spend time together. They were trying to get rid of the baby and just have time sitting. Amen. We got trauma in the back. (laughs) But the reality is, is if you find yourself hidden, that's exactly what God has done. The hidden place. It's actually a meeting place. In the hidden place, God can take the time to pull you aside, to get you alone. And he can begin to build a relationship with you. The hidden place is a place for intimacy. It's not a weird word. It means to know somebody. Don't be gross. The hidden place is a place where God can get you alone so that you can begin to build a deep relationship, knowing him fully and him knowing you fully. The hidden place is a meeting place. See, what's interesting about Elijah is God comes to... God comes to Elijah and he says, Elijah, go hide by the Kareth brook. Many theologians, they'll tell you that Elijah hid by the Kareth brook for three years alone. Him and God by himself. No boo. Just like you. <laughs> Waiting, wondering, and hidden. But what's interesting about the Kareth brook is that in the Greek, the word Kareth, it actually means to cut or to separate. I just wonder, for three years, what was God cutting and separating out of Elijah? Was it insecurity? Was it his past? Was it his pain? Was it his sorrow? Was it his addiction? Was it sin? For three years, God took Elijah to the cutting place to separate something out of him. Many of you, you go, I'm hidden. What is God trying to cut out of you? What does God need to cut out of you? Is it sin? Is it addiction? Is it heartbreak? Is it pain? What needs to be cut? Because cutting, it's just surgery. And we all know that surgery is necessary in order to save somebody's life. You have to cut out of them what was in them that would kill them. He had to go to the cutting place. I wonder how many of us have sat in a cutting place but refused the surgeon. I wonder how many of us got to the cutting place and said, God, I don't want to do this. Just expedite it. Why do I have to go through this? Because in order to have surgery, he has to get you in the operating room. But before he can get you in the operating room, 
He has to get you in the waiting room. Because I think the truth of the matter actually is, is that when you are hidden by the hand of God, you're actually finally in the hand of God. Hidden. Waiting. Cutting. The second thing that's super interesting about the Kareth brook, the, the word in Kareth in Greek, it means to cut, but it also means covenant. A covenant is a promise. Whatever God will remove, he will replace. He will cut out the pain. He will cut out the sorrow. And he will replace with promises, with joy, with hope, with a future. Come on, somebody. You don't believe he's got promises for your life. The cutting comes with the covenant. Whatever he takes out, there's better he'll replace. For the years, Elijah stayed getting cut. But I can guarantee you that God would whisper his identity, who he's called him to be, what he'll do in his future, how much he loves him. And he would cut out the pain and he'd replace it with a promise. And he'd say, Elijah, I know they hurt you, but I'm a good father who never will. Elijah, I know that you were once addicted, but I say in my presence, there's freedom. Elijah, I know that you are not in a good place, but I am the good father, the good shepherd who will take you to the best place in my hand. Because the hidden place, it's a meeting place. See, later on in verse 2. God tells Elijah, drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. I have commanded them to bring you food. I love food. Somebody say amen. Amen. I wish wish you could eat as much as you wanted with no consequence. I'm going in and out after this. My pastor's in the front row. He's like, you want to fast, boy. Listen, I've I've never been a bird guy. But, I mean, unless they're on my plate, you know what I mean? (laughs) But when you're preaching a sermon titled Waiting on Ravens, you have to do your due diligence in the research on the raven. And I found two things that were really interesting to me. The first being, in, in the Old Testament, there was this thing called the law. Now, in the Old Testament, they didn't have Jesus who paid the price for their sin. And so in order to be in right standing by God, you had to live by the law, which was this set of rules that said you had to eat, walk, talk, and perform a certain set of rules in order to be called uh, righteous before God. But one of the things in Leviticus 11.15 you could not do is you could not touch or eat a raven of any kind. You would be considered unclean in the eyes of God. The second thing that I found that was super interesting about a raven is that a raven, a singular raven, it's called a raven, obviously. But a group of ravens, a cluster of ravens, is called an unkindness. I just wonder, could it be that the things that we call unclean And unkind were actually the things that God wanted to use to grow you. Could it be that the waiting you have deemed unclean and unkind is what God needs to nourish you? Could it be 
that the unclean and unkind thing that you walked through in the hidden place was actually the mercy, the love, the grace, and the protection of a good father. Come on, somebody. Could it be that you went through something so he could do something through you? When I was younger, I'm telling on my sister tonight. When I was younger, my sister, she hated broccoli. And uh, every time my parents, they cooked broccoli, they forced my sister to eat every single piece of broccoli that they placed on her plate. Every single piece. I wish they did it. You better believe this was a scene. A scene. There was tears. There was gagging. There was yelling. But what my sister didn't know is that In order for her to grow into the woman that she needed to be, she needed the nourishment that the broccoli brought her. She had to deal with what she considered the unkindness of her father. Come on, somebody, you don't need to like your broccoli, but you better eat it. You don't need to like steamed vegetables, but you need the nourishment. You don't need to like what you're going through. You just need to let it nourish you because he's a good father. And he says, I promise it's going to make you better. It's going to heal you. It's surgery. It might hurt, but it's going to be better. Come on. You don't believe it. You better clap your hands. He's a good father. He says it's what you've called unclean and unkind. I called it nourishment. See, the thing that's super interesting about Elijah's circumstance is that the ravens, they brought him food. Amen? Amen. I'm answering my own amens because you're not. (laughs) Thank you. And what's interesting about that is that for three years, there was no rain in the land. And for three years, if they're in a drought or there's no rain in the land, that is also synonymous with a drought and a famine, meaning there's no food. People are dying. Animals are dying. But research shows that a raven is actually a scavenger. And where they get meat is they get meat and eat meat off of dead carcasses of animals. So it's, it's fair to assume that when Elijah was fed by the meat of the raven, he was brought dead carcass meat. You're allowed to say you. But what if the dead things are actually the things that God wants to use to bring life? What if the dead things are needed to be resurrected to bring you life? What if God right now is saying, well, you've called dead your heart, your hope, your promises, your future, I call it alive. What if, what if, just bear with me here. What if the thing that was dead in your life, he wants to resurrect? What if the joy, the hope, the pain, the sorrow, what if he wants to come in and say, I have a new story for you. I have healing for you. I have promise for you. It might be dead, but I call it alive. What if the dead carcasses of your life or what God wants to use to grow you. See, a seed, it has to actually die in order for it to grow. 
The journey of a seed is a seed must be planted, it must be buried, it must be hidden, and then it must die. And the death of the seed brings life to the tree. I know there's dead things in your life. But God is saying tonight, I want to restore, I want to rebuild, I want to resurrect. It might be dead now, but I got dreams, I got hope, I got a promise for your life. And I will bring the dead things and make them the things you need to grow. So you might think the waiting and hidden season is dry and it's dead. But I think it's a season of growth. James 1, 1 through 2, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I trouble, when, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Come on, somebody. He wants to grow you. He's got a plan for you. It's not dead in the presence of Jesus. Listen, I, I can, I can say this confidently because for years I was hidden. I was waiting. Dreams of mine were dead and gone. And God said, let me cut. Let me hide. Let me resurrect. Because here's the interesting thing. For many of us, we consider the waiting season a tragedy. But what God, what you see as a tragedy, he, God sees it as a training ground. See, I actually think that God, he, he took Elijah into the wilderness, into the drought into the hidden place because he actually wanted to train and teach Elijah the things that were most important to Elijah's life. See, the ravens, they brought him meat and bread. And in the Bible, these two things, they're always, they're always physical things, but they're also always symbolic of spiritual things. See, the, the, the bread, the Bible calls it the word of God, the bread of life. And the meat, the flesh, it's symbolic of the manifest presence of Jesus. Worship team, you can join me. It's symbolic of what he did on the cross. See, God was not just bringing Elijah meat and bread. God was bringing Elijah his presence. In the wilderness, every evening and every morning, God would feed him physically with ravens, and then he would feed him spiritually with his presence. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, says in in, in chapter 26, he says, In the night I search for you, and in the morning I earnestly seek you. I think that this is the story of Elijah. That every night and every morning, as Elijah waited, and was hidden, and was hurting, and was lost, and was wondering, and needed a touch from God. I think God, every single morning, and every single evening, took him in his presence, and he said, Elijah, come close. Come to the presence of Jesus. I have things to show you. I need to touch your life. 
But it can only happen in the presence of Jesus. See, in in the final verse, verse 7, it says that the brook that Elijah drank water from, it dried up. And when I read that the first time, I said, God, that's mean. He took my man's water. And then the Lord told me, he said, no, no, look again. See, Elijah, Elijah was camping close to a physical water source, the scriptures tell us. One that was providing for him while he waited. But this brook, it was a brook that was specifically only fueled by rainwater. I think Jesus was showing Elijah that the physical sources in our lives, they will one day dry up. That the water Elijah went to every day for life would one day dry up. I think many of us, while we're hidden and we're waiting, we find another source. I think we find money. Or we find performance. Or we find a relationship to fulfill you. Or you find alcohol or sex or drugs or pornography or whatever it is. You find a source to fuel you. You find a physical source to momentarily quench the the spiritual needs of yourself. You're not simply a physical being. You have spiritual needs. It's why there's a hole in your heart that just never gets full. It's why no party, no money, No amount of sex, no amount of fun, no amount of traveling, no amount of promotions, no career. It's why none of it can fill it. It's because one day, eventually, the source, it will dry up. There comes a day when the source of your life, the thing that you went to in the waiting, the rain stops. And you got to find another one. And you got to search again. And maybe you find something else. And eventually, that dries up too. Because the sources of our life that are physical, they can never feed you. They can never fill you. There will come a day. I've been there. That day could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in two years. There will come a day when the thing that you made the source of your life, it will dry up. It will leave you high and dry. It will leave your soul in a drought. It will leave you feeling like you got no water to quench your thirst. It will leave you in a drought season, waiting on ravens, waiting on something to bring you food. But I have to tell you, I came here to Orange County to tell you, you don't need to wait on ravens. You need to wait on the presence of Jesus. Are you thirsty? Go to Jesus. It says in the scriptures, In John 4, it says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water 
I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. I think it's time to say enough is enough in this room. I don't need more physical things. I don't need a promotion. I don't need money. I don't need sex. I don't need performance. I don't need my earthly father to even approve of what I'm doing. I need the presence of Jesus. I need to get my heart full. I need to get healed. I need to get touched. I need to get renewed. I need this aching to disappear. I need addiction to flee. I don't need another physical source. I need the only source that would become a bubbling spring of joy, of hope. I don't need the brook of my life. I need the good shepherd. I need Jesus, the one who took this pain, who took that sorrow, who saw your addiction, and he said, it will not conquer you. And he took it to a cross. He said, let me be inflicted, and I'll save your life. He said, I got a bubbling spring. Stand to your feet all around this room. You don't need a physical, momentary thirst quench. You don't need another hit of dopamine. You don't need another thing to numb what you're going through. You don't need another moment that leaves you ashamed, broken, sorrowful, wishing that you didn't do what you just did, wishing there was more. You need the presence of Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, are you thirsty? Come to me. Are you hurting? Come to me. Are you in pain? Come to me. Are you broken? Come to me. Do you need a touch from heaven? Come to me. Have you tried new ageism? Have you tried anything else? Have you tried Jesus? He says, come and I'll quench the thirst. I'll stop the pain. I'll come where you need a father you never had. Come on, why don't we just begin to worship like he's here? Why don't we begin to say, fill my heart, quench my thirst, give me everything I need. Come on, sing it out. Let's believe together. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that message from Yona Orange County that I preached last Friday night. Uh, I hope you were encouraged. I hope you were inspired. But more importantly, um, I really hope that you understand now what the source of your life should be, especially in the waiting. Hey, if you've never given your life to Jesus and after this message, you would like to give your life to Jesus, surrender your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to be able to do that right now. So right now, wherever you are, if you feel like the Lord is calling you, it's time to give your life to Jesus. Just simply say this prayer out loud with me, wherever you are, say it after me. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you took all my sin, you died on the cross, and you rose again on the third day. I give you my life. I ask you to become the Lord of my life. I repent of my sins, and I ask you to make me a brand new person. I love you. You have my life. It's in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just gave your life to Jesus um, I am so, so proud of you. Um, you got to tell somebody. So there is a link below um, in the description of this podcast where you can fill out some information. And our team at Yona will actually follow up with you um, to make sure that you know that you are not alone in this journey. I'm so proud of you. 
Um, and I cannot wait to see what God does in your life after you've just given your life to Jesus. The Bible says the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now because you gave your life to Jesus. Hey, I love y'all. Um, I hope that this message encouraged you guys. And um, I will see you next week for a really fun episode of Questions with Caden. See ya. Uh. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free story behind podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.